Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast. I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and today I have a guest. His name is Chaz. He has the Instagram handle, Mr. Chaz, right? And I'm going to let him introduce himself, but he is so much fun and I'm so excited to have him on the show. Chaz, thanks for being here. Will you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yes. So my name is Mr. Chaz. I'm an educational specialist and I work for a chain of private schools or early, you know, childhood centers, child development centers. I work with nine different schools and we service kids and work with kids from as young as zero, three weeks old, to as old as 12 years old. So that is quite a range. Before I was an educational specialist, teaching teachers to teach and really supporting teachers and being a director, well, not being a director, but you kind of do everything. You wear a lot of hats when you're in early childhood. So I do a lot of that, but I was a Montessori teacher before. And I also worked with kind of the before and after care and work with the children or work with the five to 12 year olds during the summer and usually the latter half of the day. I have a master's in executive leadership. I mostly do a lot of work on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. I put out videos maybe almost every day of just things that will help parents and teachers and nannies, anyone really who works with children to really understand their child, to really guide their child, to really, you know, see what's going on and also trust children and eventually trust yourselves. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I found you on Instagram and your reels and your TikTok videos are wonderful and amazing. But can we talk about that? Can we talk about trusting our children and trusting ourselves? So that is something that I think all caregivers really need to know how important that is and how to do it. How do we do that? What does that look like? Yeah. So, you know, I say that children... Now, from a very young age, from the time that they're coming out, they are already equipped with everything that they know, everything they need to do to grow, for their brain to grow. They already know that. It's already equipped. Now, what they don't know, what they do need help with is, you know, how to exactly like where or how to do those things. Like they know that they need to climb. They know that they need connection. They know that they need you know, to run and jump and experiment and explore. They know all these things, but they don't know necessarily, you know, I know that I need to climb, but I don't necessarily know that climbing on the stove is 
not the best idea and I need to find another place to climb that's more appropriate that isn't a hazard to my safety. You know, I talk about risky play in some of my videos and conversations and, you know, I don't, when I, when I say risky play, that doesn't mean hazardous play when there's hazards, but it just means allowing them to take risks, which is important. And they know that too. And so you'll see them do things like, you know, stand on things that they don't necessarily have the balance or they don't know if they're going to fall or not. And they're kind of testing it. They know they need to do that. And our job, you know, as the adults is one really to help them, you know, to really be there for them and to kind of guide, to see what they need to do and to kind of guide them through that. Even if it's, you know, having big emotions and throwing a, you know, a temper tantrum and just letting it all out. Sometimes that's what they need to do. Sometimes though, you need like a good cry or just to get out the emotions. And when we don't, all that stuff is stays inside of us and it, you know, creates stress and it affects us. And then that's how a lot of times behaviors manifest in other ways because they're just trying to meet their needs. And so trusting and going, this goes where it goes back to the trust. It's, you know, about trusting that the child really does know what they need to do, but then being tactful and like understanding how to help them maybe do it in a more appropriate way or socially acceptable way or a way that's healthier for them and the people around them. And so that's, you know, when I talk about trusting children, like that's the first conversation, like, look, like it's not about stopping your child from climbing. Your child needs to climb. The child, Uh you know, is his or her body's telling him to climb because he needs to climb. He needs physical activity. So it's not about stopping the physical activity. It's about trying to find the space for it. And, you know, the, and and also to long-term, you know, depending on, you know, the ages, teaching them to recognize the feelings within themselves and then to know what to do in a response that's healthy. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like what you're saying is that a big part of trusting children is recognizing that they have these certain developmental drives that they need to explore, things they need to do. And it's our job as parents to kind of look under the behavior, find out what the underlying need that they're communicating to us and help them figure out a way to meet that need that is also within our boundaries, that we kind of provide the safety rails, the bumpers mm-hmm. for how they can explore and grow in a safe way. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. You put it beautifully. Okay. And so then I think something that lots of parents struggle with, I mean, they get this, they get kids are whole from the start. Most of my followers and listeners really do believe that kids are born worthy of being treated with dignity and respect and that they are whole, alive, alert beings right from the very beginning. And the problems with that start to come in as kids get older, they have these developmental drives, they do behaviors that we've been kind of culturally conditioned to think are bad or think are negative. And they start to struggle with figuring out what is the underlying need. As kids get older, their underlying needs get more complicated. You know, so when a six month old starts like sucking on their hand and fussing a little bit, we know like they're hungry. They have this need. It's easy to figure out what their underlying needs are, but toddlers, two-year-olds, three-year-olds are much more complicated than that. So do you have any suggestions for parents on like, okay, so they are having this behavior, this behavior that kind of gets under my skin or that we want to stop, or we want to redirect. How do we figure out what the underlying need is or communication underlying? What is that child's behavior telling us in that moment? Like how do parents figure that out? 
Yeah. So combination of things, but the big thing is observation, observing, observing, observing what's happening before, during, after, look at facial expressions, you know, have conversations too, in a non-judgmental way. That's another thing too. You know, it's almost, we have to kind of become detectives because they won't necessarily tell us because they don't have the words they don't fully understand it and it's our job to help them kind of process that because we have the greater life experience so we do know what like mad sad looks like and and maybe we don't even know as ourselves as the adults we've gone through life we don't know how to handle mad sad or angry and the ways that we've handled it throughout life haven't been healthy and we were never taught that from our caregivers from our parents so there's a big part of self-growth that plays a part in it and children have a very funny way of forcing us to grow when we take them seriously yeah sure we can ignore them and ignore their needs and you know behaviors can just happen and we could not grow and we could just you know have the mentality that i'm right child's always wrong there's something wrong with my child and as opposed to you know maybe i need to listen a little bit more to figure out and not just listen to the words but listen to the communication and really just be in tune and present with what's happening. Another part of it too, is that like, and that's the great benefit of going to people like you and going to people like me is understanding a little bit about child development so that like, it makes sense because like, if you don't know that you see your two-year-old color on the walls and you're like, well, on like this little square piece of paper for them to color on and they still didn't do it. Like I'm trying to meet their needs, but you don't know they need that whole body movement. You guys can't and- see Chaz right now, but he is doing the whole big <laughs> body movement that a two-year-old does when they draw on the wall, that big like side to side movement. And clearly they need that body movement. But, you know, a parent may not necessarily mm-hmm. know that because, you know, that's no fault of their own. This is not something they've studied, yeah. right? They've studied other things, but people like you and me have studied this. So we we can kind of make sense of some of this stuff kind of maybe a little bit more quickly because we're used to observing it and we kind of know like, oh, like coloring on the wall, like that's, they need like, and then we can give you some suggestions. Like the first thing I say is an easel, but easels can be expensive. So that, you know, I also say like just cardboard or paper on the wall and just taping it up or just propping it up is- Yeah, the big rolls of paper can, you can get those pretty cheaply on Amazon that, and you can put them on the wall, tape three together, and then their kids got a big range of movements. Yeah. Sometimes kids need to be like, there's gross motor stuff happening there too, where they need to be upright. They're used to coloring on horizontal plane and there's different muscles involved in coloring on a vertical plane. I mean, I mean, there's so much going on. So I want to just summarize what you just told us. So it seemed like there were three really big takeaways for learning, like figuring out what's under a behavior. There's these three things you do. Observe your child really carefully, closely observe them, get super curious about them. I'm really bringing this yeah i mean curiosity i feel like is one of our biggest superpowers as caregivers as partners just as people that if we can tap into curiosity it's so powerful so that curious kind of open-minded hunger to know your child so observation like learning about where they are in development what they need what's normal and typical for a kid who's your kid's age and then also the self-growth really learning like if your kids are having big emotions and you're finding that you can't handle those big emotions in yourself and then we got to do our own work too so those three big things yeah 
beautifully summarized. And, you know, it's not necessarily easy, right? Because your entire world is not your child. Like you have other things that you're paying attention to and trying to do, and you have your own life. You're your own unique person with your own wants and needs that may be separate from your child. So sometimes it is hard to like really take the step back and to really just, you know, be like a tune and to just really see and to, you know, take the time to try to like, you know, read books or listen to podcasts like this one, or I've got a podcast too, plug, plug, plug. <laughs> Mr. Chaz's Leadership Parenting and Teaching Podcast. So, you know, it's not by any means I'm saying, like, I don't want people to, you know, get the impression that I'm saying that any of this is easy. A lot of this is it's extremely hard work and takes practice. And it's even more challenging when, you know, you never learned how to deal with your own emotions. So, you know, teaching your child how to navigate their emotions might be a little bit more challenging, but there's a silver lining to that. If you find yourself like, man, like I was never taught these things, emotional regulation, like what is that? Like the beauty of you going on that journey is that you can go on that journey with your child. And that is powerful in itself. That has its own power than someone who's like, I kind of already know this emotional regulation. Like I'm super calm all the time. I never freak out, which is like no one, but you know, there's value. There is, I still see value in, you know, showing your journey to your child. You know, when you get overwhelmed with emotion and maybe you do blow up and you yell and, and then you reflect later and then there's the opportunity to repair and apologize and saying, like, I'm sorry, you know, that's not the way that I should have handled that and stop there. And don't continue with like, but you did. No, don't do that because then you're putting it on them. No, it's authentic, genuine apology. And then by that, they're learning to do the same too, because inevitably, especially even you like, right, as an adult will still kind of lose it sometimes and your emotions will get the best of you. It will definitely happen to your toddler, to your five-year-old, right? So So we can model what like repair and responsibility taking looks like in a relationship. I so agree, Chaz, that- mistakes, parenting mistakes, times when we are not at our best selves, these are opportunities. They're opportunities to offer ourselves compassion and exercise that muscle of compassion in the midst of struggle and model to our kids what it looks like to be kind to ourselves, to be forgiving to ourselves, to acknowledge a wrong that we did and to take responsibility for it. It is so tempting to say, you know, I'm sorry I yelled, but you really made me mad. We don't want to put our feelings on our kids. They are not responsible for our feelings. We are the adults. We're responsible. And I think you're so right that we have this beautiful opportunity to grow up alongside our kids and they invite us to it. They call us in, they crack us open and Mm. shine a light on all of the parts where we have work to do. And that can be hard. It can be overwhelming, but it's also beautiful when you lean into it and accept it and recognize the call to healing that our kids give us. So beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not even just the repair part. It's also the practice afterwards. Okay. So now like, what am I going to do now when I get overwhelmed and when I get really frustrated, you know, what are my calming techniques? Right. And so like now you're modeling another part of like the work that's being put in, like, and taking shame out of our emotions, like it happens but I can work on it. And this is just like a process that you're going to have to go through as well. Like you're going to have to practice calming yourself down and then responding thoughtfully, non 
judgmentally. And those are hard things to do. And you said something else about compassion and like we get to show our, like compassion and that is contagious. When we show compassion, then they're more likely to show compassion too and show compassion to us and other people. Like it is contagious. Like when people see it, they're more likely to do it. And on the same note, same thing for the, you know, quote unquote, like, you know, negative behaviors, not being compassionate, right? And, you know, not being empathetic when we're not empathetic or compassionate to our children, they're going to be less likely to be empathetic and compassionate as well to us or to other people because it wasn't modeled for them. And, you know, they were taught, they were given the message that when someone does something that I don't like, I lash out and it's their fault. And there is no responsibility for my emotions too. And one more thing I want to say on something that you just said is that children can't make us mad. Children can't make us mad. It is our interpretation of their behavior that makes us mad. That is how we're seeing it. That is not necessarily their behavior that makes us mad. It's our interpretation. So, you know, we can take control and do work to take control over our interpretation and how we're seeing, you know, what they're doing. And one of like the most common like phrases to use, but I just say, cause it's just so helpful, especially for someone who hasn't heard it. Like this can be your mantra. Like, you know, children aren't giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. And that is so true in this world that they've been thrusted into of all these different cultures and like ideas that don't make sense in combination with these big emotions that they're feeling that like just erupt and without notice. And they're emotionally inexperienced too. So like literally when they experience disappointment and we think they're overreacting, but most likely it's the biggest they've ever felt disappointment before. Because they're inexperienced. They haven't lost something meaningful, like really meaningful. So when they can't find a certain stuffy, I mean, and that stuffy is meaningful for them. Yeah, I think you're so right. And I always encourage the parents that I work with to when we are inclined to say they make me so mad, our partner, our kid, you know, I so agree. No one can make you feel something. It's your interpretation. It's the lens that you view it through. And so even just questioning, what am I making this mean? What am I making this mean about me? What am I making this mean about my parenting, about my relationship with my child, about my child? What am I making this mean? And is that true? Can that be true? Can we know 100% without a shadow of a doubt that that's true? You know, I'm a bad mom and my kid's a bad kid that I'm failing at being a parent because oftentimes like that's what the negative thought cascade, that's where it ends, you know, that I, I suck at this. I'm terrible. They must hate me. I'm the worst. You know, we get stuck in those negative thoughts and the reality is, is that those are just neurons firing. They have no basis in reality. They're literally just habitual thoughts that we've been thinking for a while. And here's the thing too, like something you can do, maybe you can practice if you're listening at home, you know, give yourself and your children the benefit of the doubt based on the facts. Right. You know, assuming the best. Yeah. 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 And I'm not saying be delusional and, you know, like put the facts together. Yeah. But then give the child, give yourself of the benefit of the doubt and tell yourself that story. If you're going to tell yourself a story and commit it to be true in your mind and how you're thinking, then tell yourself a story that is going to be more beneficial for you and more beneficial for your child, because even just seeing it, and even if you're like wrong or you're kind of off, and let me just talk about like the child, even if you're a little off, one, all the facts are going to be made clear to you and you're going to get more data, one. Two, whether we give the impression that children are bad or we give the impression that children are good to them, whatever message they receive, they're going to live up to it. 
Yes. <laughs> so, so it's better to assume that they have, you know, good intentions and because, and then they'll be more likely to assume that they have good intentions. It is like, if the child is picking up a rock, you could you know, go over to that child and say, you know, don't throw the rock at your friends. And now the child's like- thinking about throwing the rock at their friends, but you know, you, you could go over there and say, huh. I wonder if you can throw the rock over the fence, or I wonder if you could like, let's say you're- Or even just, hey, I see you've got a rock. Right, What's right. What's your plan? What's up with that rock? <laughs> and that's the curiosity, right? Yeah. And I'm not, and with the same kind of scenario, like if maybe like you've noticed that the child has been rejected by a certain group of like children. And, you know, this could happen as young as three or four, because I definitely do see it start to get a little like, quote, like clicky. That's a developmental drive too to play with friendships. Like, just like it's a developmental drive to climb on everything when you're 18 months old. It's a developmental drive to start playing with social stuff when you're three and four. And when children get rejected, then it does cause emotions or behaviors. It, it does create an overwhelming emotion that could cause behaviors that are out of their normal character, right? And so maybe you notice that, like, oh, you can't play with me. I'm going to play, blah, 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 blah. And I push a child down. The child's like sad, but then you see his eyebrows start to free and he's like getting a little angry and then he picks up the rock and then he's walking to it. You know, I would say based on those facts, yeah, I would make the assumption that the child probably doesn't have great intentions with that rock <laughs> based on the facts. And so I just wanted to say that I don't, you know, not to be delusional, but one to really see what's going on as much as possible. But then, you know, if it's just the rock, then yeah, you're right. Like, ha, huh, just curiosity. Yeah. What do you have there? What do you plan to do with it? What's your plan? Yeah. So even in that scenario where the context is telling you like that there might be a, a negative plan with this rock, you can still come in and non-judgmentally state an observation, say what you see. Like if you see that it's going fast, whoa, 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 you come down, you get close, get down on their level. Yeah. Yeah. I see you got pushed down. I see that kind of look on your face. I see you've got that rock clutched hard in your hand. Yeah. What's going on? You know, just slowing it down and curiosity and observation. Those are so good. And likely the child is that's going to disrupt kind of that thought pattern and then start to process. And the child will likely stop, kind of pause what they're doing and then talk to you more about what is going on and what happened. And then, and now you've opened up a conversation, which is what you want. And is also what you're practicing with them of just how to have the conversation, right? And maybe they're having a conversation with you so that later on in life, or as you're coaching them and working through them and you're building your relationship and you're showing them like how to have a conversation, you're modeling it, you're maybe using role play that they then maybe a month later, they get pushed down by the same group of kids, or maybe they're in another school even, or in another place, or they're on the playground on the weekend, or they're at school, wherever it is, they're in a different place, and they get rejected by a similar group. Now they're starting to process what's happening, and now they have maybe a little more language to communicate to the other children or communicate to an adult that they need help. Now, that was such a small moment of just like of us being curious and helping them process what's going on because we don't see what the other outcome would have been. Sometimes like we don't see how powerful that moment is. 
like that could be the difference between another child getting a rock upside their head and, <laughs> and the other child having, you know, a conversation where they actually communicate and figure out how they can both be Elsa or Paw Patrol dogs or whatever it is, and then play together. And it's a happy little scenario. Those are two vastly different outcomes. Yeah. And that small little just curiosity that we inserted in, into the previous situation that created that completely different outcome. Right. And we're hardwiring that pause into them by helping them get that pause. We're hardwiring the neural connections between I get rejected. I feel like crap. I go into like fight mode. And when I get the impulse to hurt someone, I pause and I do something else. Like we're hardwiring those neural connections. I felt like as we were talking about this, I think it's important for parents to know about these three levels of the brain. Becky Bailey teaches this in conscious discipline where we have this, our fight or flight system, our survival brain. We have our emotional brain, that second level. And then our top executive brain. When a kid's got a rock clutched in their hand, they've just been rejected. They are in fight or flight. That is literally a fight response. And by slowing them down, connecting with what they might be feeling, we bring them up into the emotional brain. And then by asking them what's going on, what's your plan? We are co-regulating and bringing them up into their executive brain where Mm -hmm. rational thinking lives, where language processing lives. And we're literally building their brains in that interaction. Mm -hmm. You know, brains are so cool. (laughs) Yeah, it is really cool to think about just how our interactions with children are literally shaping their brains and who they're going to become, you know, for the rest of their life. And not that people don't change and grow throughout life but you know this is the foundation yeah Um, any way they change later in life it will be a change from the foundation of like who they are just like we had programming uploaded into us as kids you know our default way we parent was programmed in us by the way we were parented you know so in moments of stress when we go to our default that default was uploaded you know as our software that was given to us by our families growing up and but we all know those of us who are moving into respectful and conscious parenting that we can change our defaults yeah conscious intention and awareness and thought work and all of those good things yeah for sure and that it made me think about you know i posted a video that went uh viral i don't know if anyone is familiar with the yeet baby but it's pretty much a bunch of videos with like an uncle and a a toddler and he does a bunch of videos of like no he they're just drinking juice I've seen your juice videos. Yeah. <laughs> what is it called? A duet? I'm not very yeah. TikTok literate yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got it. Got it. Yeah. And I duetted it and I just noticed the process that anyone can go through, whether you're an uncle, teacher, babysitter, parent, grandma, grandpa, you know, Mm -hmm. person on the street. And what happened was he was about to do a video and he thought he would do his regular little like juice video. And then he mistakenly gave the toddler the bottle of juice. It was like, pour it in. And she's pouring a whole bottle of juice into martini glass. And obviously she doesn't know like how fast it's going to go out how fast it's going to pour and all this stuff. She hasn't had the practice, the skills to do that. Right. So it pours all over everywhere. And he's like, first he tries to catch it. It's the moment where he kind of like (laughs) that first initial reaction, trying to catch it, like manage it. And then it happens. And then it was the pause, right? I love that pause. And that was the first step. And there was like four other steps that I put on there. like, and the video was how to not yell at kids. And then someone commented and was like, how do you do the pause? I like, I can't get to step one. And my big suggestion for that, if that's, you know, you've been conditioned, your parents never did the pause. So you never do the pause. 
big suggestion for that is to identify what your triggers are ahead of time. So you kind of know going into situations, you can bring some of those unconscious things to your conscious brain so that you're not just operating on auto parent, that you are aware that, okay, this is a situation. I know that like crying or big emotions or something that tends to trigger me. So let me kind of go into that knowing that I might have to pause and, you know, kind of doing the work ahead of time. So when the heat of the moment happens, it's like I can more easily recognize and identify the emotions that I'm feeling so that I can start the process. Yeah, absolutely. So I have this thing called the, my triple P method for getting the pause Okay. and it is prepare, plan Mm. and practice. Those are, Mm. I mean, so if we want to be able to get the pause, those are the things we've got to do. We've got to prepare, plan and practice. Yeah, triple P. Yes. The other thing that I loved about that TikTok video that you shared after the pause, he says, I wasn't expecting you to do that. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, I think it's such a beautiful example of recognizing that if we have unclear expectations, if we are unclear in what is reasonable to expect of a child that we're working with that we're within that moment, then of course we're going to be surprised by what they do. And that's on us too. Like when he was said, like, I wasn't expecting you to do that. He was taking responsibility. Yeah. He goes on to say, I guess that's kind of on me. He really really models the responsibility (laughs) taking of, I mean, everybody should go watch it and watch. Okay. The real, and, you know, and some people comment and say that, like, and they'll just kind of critique the situation. Well, that's a toddler and that's the juice. And like, why would you give it to the toddler the juice anyways? Yeah. But what we fail to realize is that that same thing shows up in so many other situations. Yeah. We're expecting, you know, maybe the toddler to wait prolonged periods of time when we don't have developmentally appropriate expectations for a child. We're expecting things that they simply can't do, you know, maybe at all, or maybe just in the moment. And so and that's a big thing about like, well, trigger us sometimes our expectations you know aren't appropriate and that's another thing too that sometimes that that i know going to a person like you or me is really helpful because it's like am i having like are my expectations appropriate like what's going on here yeah Uh, reasonable expectations and and for ourselves too like if we have been home with our kids for eight months now we're going on eight months right and i mean if we've been managing work and teaching our kids and all of these other things is it reasonable to expect us to always be cool calm and collected probably not no (laughs) no so like having reasonable expectations for ourselves is also i think so important (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Also, like, you know, you may even have expectations of the day and like plan for the day. And sometimes it doesn't happen the way that we expect, even when we thought we thought it all out and everything is like, okay, bam, 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 bam. And then, you know, something in the child poops and then like it derails the whole plan. And like for us to not get too caught up in the plan and to be able to pivot kind of in the moment too. And be like, well, this happened. I can't really change the past. And, you know, maybe there was a part of that that was like, man, like I didn't think in the, ah, I went out and pooped. It was like, man, like ah, I didn't really ask or like remind or like talk about like using the bathroom before we came out here. And then like, man, like usually do go like every two, three hours, like, man, that's something that I can do next time. But now what what can I do yeah. right now? But just even doing the little like, just man, like, hmm, I, I guess I didn't, maybe I didn't think everything out or just, and not, and you know, like. Not like in a harsh way, like not yes, in a self-flagulation exactly. way, like responsibility taking with compassion for our imperfect humans, Right, you know? Right. You have to give yourself grace too, but it really does help you plan for the future and then kind of release some of that frustration. You know, it's again, like telling yourself a different story rather than. Yeah 
you know, my child like pooped on themselves because they're just trying to get me upset or, you know, you always do this, like, ah, like, why can't you just be more like, or ah, your sister was never this, whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. automatic thoughts that are coming in our mind that really then push our emotions to sometimes react, you know, really not in alignment with what our true goals are, what we believe about kids, about parenting. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Oh my gosh, Chaz, I feel like we could talk about this for hours. It's so much fun getting to pick your brain and hearing the way that you think about kids and about, I feel like we basically just taught like a complete conscious parenting class. Like, (laughs) you know, I think that that's so awesome. I, okay. So I want to be respectful of your time and thank you for sharing this wisdom with us. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for being here. And thanks for agreeing to come on my podcast. It's been great talking to you. Yes, thank you for being here. I'm looking forward to talking with your community too. And I hope we stay connected and hopefully get to hear from you again. Sure will. All right. Bye guys. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, Remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right, that's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember, balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.